This is Paul Schneiderman on the 10th edition of Sports and Stuff. And today we have a very special guest. We have former U.S. Senator Slade Gordon. Senator Gordon does not need a long introduction, but uh, I want to give a little background to you, to listeners, Senator. So give me a minute. Um, Slade Gordon served in the Washington State Legislature. Um, he also was a three-term Washington State Attorney General. Uh, Senator Gordon, of course, served for three terms as a U.S. Senator representing our state of Washington. Um, since Slay Gordon left the Senate, uh, he's been involved in many interesting things, including uh, serving as a 9-11 Commission member. He has served on various boards and commissions since he left the Senate. There is currently the Slay Gordon International Policy Center based in Seattle. Uh, Senator Gordon's also a father, grandfather, and was married to Sally Gordon until her passing in 2013. There's a very readable and interesting 2011 book about Slay Gordon's life, which I want to recommend to listeners, Slay Gordon, A Half Century in Politics by John Hughes. It's online. Uh, today, we're going to learn a little more about your career, Senator. We're going to learn about your thoughts on some um, contemporary issues, and we're going to have a little special focus today on some of the work that you've done on uh, professional sports issues. So we only have 27 minutes today, but uh, we should have fun and get some topics in. First of all, Senator, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be on it. I, I could say as an introduction that Major League Baseball is not in the job description of either the Attorney General or uh, United States Senator, but it marks one of the most important parts of my life. Absolutely. Well, you've done a lot on uh, for Seattle on baseball issues for sure. Well, Senator, um, can you share with us a little minute about how you got the bug to run for political office nearly 60 years ago in 1958? Well, it goes back beyond that. My, my parents were both interested in politics, and I was I was growing up as a kid. And so it was a natural outgrowth of uh, being a lawyer. Uh, and in 1958, the year I first ran, of the state had been redistricted both its congressional districts and its uh, legislative districts. And there was district very close to where I lived then that had no representatives at all. So I said, well, take a chance. I moved into that district and filed and, and won the first five terms as a state representative. That's great. That's great. You were a young man when you did that, too, for sure. Yes, uh, I was. I'm not now. <laughs> well, you're, you're doing well. Still doing well. Um, Senator, I want to ask you about a very famous uh, American legal case. It was a very famous American libel case uh, that took place in Okanagan County. One of your colleagues in the state legislature, John Goldmark, was accused of being a communist, and he was represented by a very famous late attorney, who I know you knew well, Bill Dwyer, who later became a federal judge. And in that case, Senator, you were a young politician, and you potentially risk your political career when you agree to testify on John Goldmark's behalf in that case. It took a lot of courage, um, but you did it because you thought it was the right thing to do. Um, looking back, Senator, has that case always been on your mind when you've evaluated other tough decisions to make in your life? It turned out not only not so much a dangerous choice as it was a very, very good one. John Goldmark served in the legislature together. We were right. We were opposite parties. He was one of the best speakers for the Democrats there. And I always prided myself when I could keep even with him in a debate. And so when Bill Dwyer, I regarded the best lawyer in Seattle, called and asked to testify as a representation witness for John Goldmark, I instantly knew I had two choices. 
I could say no, work on myself as a coward for the rest of my life, or I could say yes, get myself in political trouble. It didn't turn out to be a particularly difficult decision. I said yes. John Goldmark won that trial because Bill was a fine lawyer. John Goldmark, fine person himself. Uh, <clears throat> but I did have much more serious options than the next time I ran for re-election with candidate who effectively called me a kind. Well, I won my race. John Goldmark had not won it substantially, and actually it added a reputation rather than his rather than hurting me. Interesting, interesting. But at that time, you, you were definitely taking a political risk, though, weren't you, Senator, testifying for Mr. Goldmark? I thought I was. Uh, and I was, and I would have easy race not done so. Uh, it was a harder race, but it was a good race. Interesting, interesting. Um, Senator, you served three terms, as we know, in the U.S. Senate. Can you mention one or two votes that really stood out as tough votes that you cast? In the United States Senate? Yes. Yeah, one of the first ones in my very, very first term had to do with whether or not Boeing sell AWACS, that is, high aircraft, to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Boeing was a major constituent. Uh, the Jewish community was very, and Israel were very much opposed to the sale. And my other senator from the state was Scoop Jackson, who often was known as the senator from Boeing. Uh, Senator Jackson voted with the Israelis. Uh, I voted with Boeing as being my biggest constituent. And that was a tough one. I was a great admirer and a friend of Senator Jackson while we were in the Senate together. Uh, It was difficult to part from him, but it came to me that it was an appropriate sale, and I did so. Interesting. I I sort of, as a young kid, remember that episode. Um, Any other uh, tough Senate votes that you can share with us? Well, there were a lot of Senate votes uh, every year of the vote on, on the budget itself. One year, the budget that finally passed the Senate was one that I actually sponsored. That was a difficult challenge because two or three budgets had been defeated before it, uh, it was put up. And it was a challenge, both because it was very, very large and because it was very, very complicated. And uh, there were quite a number of votes like that, issues like that, civil rights issues, uh, land-related issues uh, in the time I was in the Senate. But now, you know, it's had to be a pretty long time ago, and they're beginning to blur. Well, yeah, yeah, you definitely had a lot of votes. It's hard to keep track of all of them, I bet. Um, Senator, who are a couple of the, of the favorite uh, senators that you served with? Who are a couple that really stood out uh, for their legislative skills? Well, one was... Our, our own Duke Jackson, no question about that. It was an honor and a pleasure to serve with him from the same state, even across the political aisle. The Senator Ford and Mark Hatfield were sort of my model what a senator ought to look like and ought to act. <coughs> senator Pete Menes from uh, New Mexico was my candidate for MVP in the Senate. He knew more and worked harder on more and more varied issues that than anyone else that I knew. Uh, Warren Rudman from New Hampshire had been Attorney General while I was Attorney General of Washington, and we had been friends even then. He was one of my very, very closest friends in the Senate. And Rudy Blaschman from Minnesota may have ranked number one in the Senate uh, as far as personal friendship was concerned during my first term, 
uh, during my second and third terms, when Rudy Voskowitz was gone, it was certainly Trent Lott who ended up being the Republican leader. Interesting, interesting. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainer Avenue Radio with Slay Gordon. Uh, Senator, I want to ask you, before we go to sports, on a couple of contemporary issues. Um, any thoughts right now on the Trump administration? I'm sorry, what question? Any thoughts you have right now on the Trump administration? Well, I'm not sure they should go on a family program. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, uh, do you... Do you feel that uh, he's a different kind of Republican, huh, the, the president? I feel that he's wasting the greatest opportunity that the conservative voices had to be real successes uh, uh, by his antics and his lack of knowledge about issues uh, and uh, his disrespect for almost everyone he comes in contact with, not just those with whom he disagrees, but even with those who, with whom he agrees. Yeah, I don't think he's a Slade Gorin or a Bush Republican, huh? Well, I think those are perhaps two slightly different things, but he's not either. Okay, okay. Uh, Senator, I, I know you serve in the Senate for, for quite a few terms with, with Joe Biden. Uh, do you see Biden as being viable at all in 2020 as a presidential candidate? I see Joe Biden as one of the nicest people I know and a guy you would love to have lunch with who is always strong. Interesting. Well, you served for about 18 years with him, so you obviously know him. We, we did, and uh, we got along pretty well with this place. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't think he will be a serious candidate for president. Interesting feedback. Uh, 9-11 Commission, Senator, you, you served on it. Uh, how do you think the government's done in implementing some of the commission's recommendations? The 9-11 Commission was uh, one of the pivotal points of uh, my life. It ironically was a reward for having lost Tennessee a year or two before the 9-11 Commission uh, convened. It's probably been the single most outside commission of that nature in the history of uh, our republic. And it's that because so many of its recommendations have actually, have actually come to pass. Most particularly, the creation of one single director of national intelligence uh, who has the ability to get all the work that all the other 16 or 17 intelligence agencies do in our government and see to it that the information is properly distributed. Uh, in, in my view, that is the principal reason that we have not had another 9-11 type attack uh, during, during the interval. We have been subjected, of course, to several horrific intelligence uh, terrorist attacks and we almost certainly will be again. But we're much better prepared for them now. Uh, we've fought many, many of them uh, before they come to fruition. Uh, and a lot of that is the work of the 9-11 Commission. In addition, of course, it provided the first uh, truly objective history of exactly what happened, what led up to 9-11. Uh, we didn't cast claim or make praise in either one. We simply let out and allow the American people to, to conclude that so-and-so is screwed up, someone else has done a good job. Well, really interesting feedback coming from you as a member of that commission. Okay, Senator, uh, there are basically three different chapters of Seattle baseball history that you were involved in, and when you were an attorney general, when you were the attorney general of Washington State, you led a lawsuit against the American League that resulted in 
baseball uh, agreeing to award Seattle the Mariners. Uh, can you give us a little background on that case? Sure. Uh, only real baseball fanatics remember that Seattle had a team called the Pilots in the major leagues for one year in 1969. That was the first year I was Attorney General. In 1970, almost overnight, spirited out of Seattle and sent to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I decided that was pretty outrageous and used the ability of Attorney General uh, to bring a lot charging the American League with fraud and breach of contract. And ironically, you've already mentioned this name. The lawyer I hired to it was Bill Dwyer. Sure. The, the, the lawyer who got me to testify for John Goldmark. And it took us five years to actually get the American League in front of a jury in Everett. And at which point, Bill Dwyer made the entire case the city of Seattle by examining adverse witnesses, uh, the arrogant owners of, of, uh, of several of the then American League baseball teams. And I put it this way, by the time he was done, the jury was probably going to vote capital punishment. <laughs> the American League recognized that and, and, and very, very quickly settled by giving us to Seattle, giving it to us exactly the same price just over $5 million, the pilots had originally cost. And incidentally, that lawsuit was also responsible for the creation of the Toronto Blue Jays, because, of course, the league had to go up by two. Great history, great history. Did you participate in the trial, Senator? Were you? Did you uh, do any cross-direct examination during the trial? No, I did not participate in the trial. I hired Bill and supervised, got the reports and, and occasionally gave suggestions as to what they ought to do. But I, I hired and I considered to be the best trial lawyer in the city, and I let him do his job at each today. Well, you got it was, it was a great, great, uh, great legal effort. Uh, this is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff with uh, Senator Slay Gore on Rainier Avenue Radio. Senator, there was another chapter of Seattle baseball history, and you were in the U.S. Senate in the early 90s. Uh, you played a role in. Um, securing a, an, a new ownership group, then uh, there was a, a Japanese company involved. Give us a little background on how you helped put together that deal. Well, it's hard for us to remember now that back then, the 70s and 80s, even the early 90s, there was no super billionaire, uh, extremely rich person in Seattle who was just simply going to be willing to buy a major league team as a, as a toy. And so the Seattle Mariners were always threat of leaving. The kingdom turned out not to be a good place to see baseball in at all. The team almost never had a 500 a year. It went through three ownerships, each of which was an FC ownership. And the last post from Jeff Williams from Indianapolis got a sweetheart deal on the lease, good revision on the lease from King County. By agreeing that before he moved the team or sold the team, he would offer for sale 90 days to someone who would keep it in Seattle at a price that would be set by an appraiser. Now, because we'd never found such a buyer before, he thought he was going to be able to move the team. And because I had started the Mariners in the first place, I was called on, please help find a, find a new owner. I had always the Japanese, as a great baseball fan, would be a good source for such an ownership. 
And so I went to the, the Nintendo of America, you know, a branch of Nintendo of Japan, and uh, I got an opportunity to talk to it, the number one and number two people in December of the year that this was, this was going on. When my appointment secretary called them, they asked what the subject was, and they were told baseball. And they said very politely, we don't have any interest in baseball, but the senator wants to come and talk to us. Of course he can. Well, for people who didn't have any interest in the subject, they kept me there for two and a half hours asking me questions. And then I went off on a trip and got back early before Christmas. And on December 23rd, the eve of Christmas Eve, Nero Arakawa, uh, the CEO of Nintendo of America, and the son-in-law of owner of Nintendo in Japan, called me and said, Mr. Senator, my father-in-law says that Nintendo has done very well in the state of Washington. It's been a good place for us to do business. Uh, we owe the community something. So if you need $100 million to buy a baseball team, you've got $100 million. Now, I may tell you, that's certainly the nicest Christmas present I've ever received. Oh, absolutely. No, it's great work that you did in helping to save baseball in Seattle. So there was another chapter a couple years later, about 96, the Mariners' owners were threatening to not go through with the Safeco Field package, and you intervened again. Tell us about that for a minute. First, of course, the Mariners tried an, an election at the Blue News Stadium, and it failed by a tiny margin, but it failed in that great year, <laughs> 1995, as I remember, <clears throat> when I had a picture of Kirby Storm the, the uh, winning run against the Yankees in the playoffs, and everyone in the office was just frightened to death that the Mariners would leave again. Then. And so the legislature met and created a bit of uh, financing what is now Safeco Field uh, that didn't require, remember, didn't require an, an, an election. But they created a public facilities commission basically to run it. And my view of it is the public facilities commission interfered so much in the Mariners getting the stadium built that they really, that they really wanted that, they, that the governing bodies the Mariners themselves just said, we've had it. We've had it with many. We're not one of them just said, we're never going to deal with another politician in this community at all. We've had it. We're, we're leaving. We can't make any money here. We get the stadium built that we want, and we're out of it. Well, the CEO of the Mariners then was literally the person I'd known in Seattle for the longest period of time, John Ellis. And he made an exception about saying he'd never talked to another politician. And <laughs> so in one very long day, uh, we set up the conditions under which the Mariners would stay and would have more say about what Safeco looked like. And, and didn't present it as a bargaining position, but presented it to the King County Council and the Seattle City Council as, on a take it or leave it, this is fair. Uh, if you say yes, and go ahead and say, no, we're gone. Well, they ended up saying yes, of course, because they did not want to lose Major League Baseball. And so the last, the last hurdle in the way of being a, one of the finest uh, facilities for baseball in the United States of America uh, was left over 
great background. Paul Schneider on sports and stuff with uh, Senator Slagor. And Senator, when you were in the Senate, um, you, you were involved in trying to push through some legislation um, limiting the ability of pro teams to move. Why don't you think that legislation ever went through, Senator? Well, I know perfectly well why it didn't happen. Now, this was before uh, the, the Nintendo people about the mirrors and kept them here. Well, but uh, after we had one or two uh, ownership changes, yes, I sponsored bills in the Commerce Committee on which I served that would make it more difficult for major league teams to move from one place to another. Unfortunately, the chairman of that committee, John Danforth of Missouri, who was a very close friend, really represented Budweiser. Sure. From St. Louis and, and the Budweiser family. And they were vehemently opposed to the legislation. And so John Danforth did what a senator from Missouri should do. He buried the bill. Okay. In Congress in which I introduced it. And it never had a chance simply because of the structure of the Senate. Interesting background. Senator, I know you were involved, and I, I'll just disclose this. I was involved in the Save Our Sonics effort. You were involved in the, the Sonics issue. Um, looking back, Senator, uh, 10 years later, are you surprised we don't have an NBA team yet? No, I'm not. I'm disappointed. Uh, but uh, the league, the National Basketball Association, then said that the present arena was not adequate as, as a facility. And, of course, uh, that's what uh, Scope said, that, it just, that you could never make money on it. And uh, before the left, I was a part of a group that included uh, um, Steve Ballmer, uh, <coughs> who came up with three quarters to $300 million, was the figure then as it is today, uh, needed to turn the key arena into a, a good arena. Steve Ballmer literally offered the city of Seattle a gift $150 million, half of the cost. Seattle had 75 minutes, another quarter itself. What it wanted to do was to expand the nuisance taxes that had been collected in order to build the garage, Safeco, and, and Safeco. Uh, restaurant taxes, hotel taxes, uh, special licenses, and the like, for the last $75 million. Now, if, uh, they would have had a vote the city of Seattle on the subject. But to have that vote, it required action by our legislature. And the state legislature refused to allow Seattle even to vote on the subject. And uh, so I lay the fact that Oklahoma City has the tonics now, not to show, um, <coughs> not to evil people in Salt Lake City, but to the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Frank Schaaf, who would never allow such an issue to come to a vote. Member of well, very disappointing. Uh, Senator, right now we're having a big debate in our community, Key Arena versus Soto. Where are you at in this whole arena debate right now? Well, I'm, no part of, I'm not a part of it. I'm not a part of any of the parties who are working on that. But it seems to me that Key Arena people have won the debate and we ought to go ahead with Sure. It looks like it's heading that direction, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Looking back, Senator, you put a lot of blame on the governor and the Speaker of the House in terms of the Sonics leaving, right? Not the governor. The 
Speaker. Speaker. Gotcha. Gotcha. Not allowing that vote is a, a very, a very uh, good historical point. Well, tell us what's going on with the Slade Gordon uh, Center uh, in Seattle. Can you share with us a little bit about that? The Slade Gordon well, National. As a matter of fact, I just come home from interviewing two of our crop of students. Great. Last year, we've had a group of 15 and 20 students who apply to be a part of it, mostly from UW, any from Seattle News, some from Seattle Pacific, and some from further out, uh, who, who come with us for about eight or ten programs a year, where I get people you know, I've served with or know and, and like from both parties to come and talk to them about leadership and how these very successful people have become as successful. And, and then we require, we require the students to put on a program or two programs uh, themselves. Uh, they write an essay at the end for a small scholarship uh, prize. It's gotten better every year that we've had it. That's just great. And I have uh, two one-hour sessions, one in the fall and one in the spring, with each one of the students. I just finished the sixth and seventh but Set the interviews for this year's class first round this morning. That's just great. That's great. That's great. Um, were you involved at all in the, in the Seahawks uh, relocation at all center back in the 90s? Or did you have any no. role in that? No, I was not. I was okay. not. I was quite happy to take it care of in the analysis. I can claim no participation in it whatsoever. Okay. Okay. I do. I did read Sling Center that you met with the then Seahawks owner, Ken Baring, and you apparently didn't believe him when he said he wasn't going to move the team. <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, Senator, we're in the process of wrapping this up, and it would really have been fun to get your thoughts on some sports issues and learn a little more about your career. I mean, I wish I could have talked to you for hours, I, but uh, we were able to get a, a little a little time in. And uh, what does the future hold for Slade Gordon? What, what, do you, what do you see happening in the uh, future? Well, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty senior now, still working part-time for a law firm and still running the Gordon Center and a couple of boards. I just intend to keep back for as long as I can. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, it's been a lot of fun. You're you're a figure in uh, Washington, State, our country. It's been involved and had a role in many different things. And I really appreciate you coming on Sports and Stuff today, Senator. Well, thank you for having me. I've been You're a good interviewer. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much.